Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And on this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I am so excited to introduce you to Nancy Lyons. And we are talking all about how to work like a boss. Nancy Lyons, CEO and co-founder of Clockwork, understands that humans are the hardest part of work. She's been building teams and leading clients through culture change and evolution for over 20 years by challenging people to harness the human side of business. Nancy's mission is to help everyone activate their inner change maker by showing up differently and controlling the one thing you can, yourself. She is the author of the Amazon bestseller, Work Like a Boss, a kick in the pants guide to finding and using your power at work. And a selection of past award titles include Most Admired CEO, 100 People to Know, and Business Owner of the Year. I hope you enjoy Nancy and I's conversation on how to work like a boss. Welcome, welcome to the Leadership Habit, Nancy Lyons. I am so excited to have you here to talk to our audience about how to work like a boss. That just has a powerful statement to it. Nancy, how are you doing today? (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to talk about how to work like a boss. How can we be our best selves? I I think that right now I'm seeing a lot of burnout and overwhelm, and hopefully this can be an empowering conversation to get people to take back their control or be a little bit more intentional with how they're living their lives. So I'm excited to dive into our conversation. But of course, before we do, I always like to have you introduce yourself to your audience. Nancy, could you tell our audience a little bit more about you? Sure. Thanks. Well, I'm Nancy Lyons. I live in Minneapolis. Uh, I am the co-founder and CEO of an experience design and technology consultancy called Clockwork. Um, We also have a smaller agile studio called Tempo, and it does uh, very similar things in that Tempo is for small, medium-sized businesses and startups that uh, require technology solutions. Um, We're building low and no-code solutions um, at a really quick pace for those organizations. And then Clockwork does a lot of... um, technology, uh, consulting strategy, customer experience. We have a change enablement practice, and we also build the solutions that we collaboratively arrive at with our clients. So we work with clients like Ameriprise and Mercury Marine and Optum and United Health and Ecolab and General Motors um, building big, complex, gnarly uh, uh, technology systems for their businesses. I love it. What? What? Out of curiosity, how did you land there? What was your career path like? It was uh, out of the ordinary. Um, I was actually a theater major in college, and I thought that if I translated any of that to work, I would end up being a, a producer or director of uh, industrial videos, or maybe, maybe I would pursue filmmaking. Um, I started on that path, but what I saw was uh, a lot of men in the driver's seats. There were very few women behind cameras. There were very few women who were leading the charge. And, you know, we know that's true if you just look at 
sort of the Oscars and the mainstream film industry, we know that when women win an award for excellence, it isn't just unusual that they won the award. It's also unusual that they were up for it to begin with because there's so few of them. That's been the case for a really long time. And so I didn't really see a path for myself, um, a lot of opportunities for myself, mostly because I think there are, you know, there are so few that the men that had power were also gatekeeping that power. Um, and that was certainly my experience. So I started to look around to see where else I could put, um, you know, my creative energy. And at the time, I was uh, just sort of wrapping up college and um, uh, uh, I just graduated from college when all of it started to come together and I started to teach myself how to code. And um, I was really curious about the internet, really curious about what was happening there. Um, and I made it my life's mission to find a company where I could essentially apprentice because at the time there weren't a lot of formal programs in college. There weren't a lot of formal grad programs. The internet was just, you know, this is the nineties. The internet was just coming into sort of mainstream existence. And I was looking for a place where I could learn the business. And I did, I found it and uh, built my career from there. I love that. Well, I think it ties into today's conversation, how to work like a boss, mm-hmm. you know, even thinking about how you were able to say, there's got to be something different. I know I can create it. Hey, this isn't around yet, but I know that I can find the opportunity and just always blazing your own trail. So mm-hmm. let's dive into today's topic. Okay. What do you mean? So we're talking about how to work like a boss. What do you mean by work like a boss? What does that mean? Sure. Well, I think, you know, as somebody who has founded, you know, been involved in the founding of more than one organization, what I'm really aware of is one, in this country, we we romanticize the entrepreneur, but we also don't really look at a full picture of entrepreneurism. In other words, we talk a lot about the romance and the fantasy involved in entrepreneurism, but when we're doing that, we're really talking about the Elon Musks of the world, the Mark Zuckerbergs. You know, we think about the great big success stories and we don't have a lot of room for any of the others. Um, So that's one. Uh, I also think that um, working like a boss requires courage um, requires adaptability, requires an, a, a connection to your purpose. Any Whether you start a company or you work inside a company, there's no point in doing the work that we do if we don't feel connected to it. If we don't feel like some part of our, not necessarily our worth, although that's often the case, or I, our identity, but that's also often the case, but really our word, um, you know, our, our uh, the promise that we make to ourselves and the world um, comes from the quality of work that we do, right? Like how we deliver on our promises matters. And so what I found as an employer for 25 years and as somebody who has worked, you know, I often tell people I, I talk a lot about what happens at big organizations. I don't work in one, but I work with them. And oftentimes I'm amazed that they get anything done because I don't think people start their careers thinking about how to work like a boss. They start their careers thinking about, well, how am I going to get ahead? How am I going to get ahead? How am I going to set myself apart from everybody else? How am I going to leapfrog? How am I going to be seen? And what working like a boss requires is actually 
um, being more mindful of your impact on the broader organism, the broader organization. Um, like how are you impacting culture? How are you impacting your teams, your department, your division, your deliverables? How is your attitude and your energy showing up? You know, bosses have to have ownership, whether you own the company or not. There's, there's a certain amount of ownership that's necessary for you to be successful. And with that owner ownership comes the ability to take initiative, the ability to make decisions, the ability to take risk, the ability to fail and learn from it, the ability to um, understand other people, have emotional intelligence. There are all these qualities that get wrapped up in the idea of being a boss in our culture, but you don't have to be an executive or a founder to actually bring those qualities to the workplace. And when I say that, I don't mean brick and mortar. I mean, wherever it is that you work, whether it's at, in a home office, in a restaurant, in a corporation, whatever it is, bringing those qualities with you every day and holding yourself accountable for showing up with them and engaging with other people with that spirit of innovation and interest and purpose, um, that that is what's going to prepare all of us for the future of work. And that's what it means to work like a boss. And that was a lot. It you know, was. Even it was. thinking about like, where, where do you even start to like, kind of, to use the word unpack, like, where do you start to unpack it? But the first thing that I heard you say was really around your mindset about the work that you do. Mm -hmm. And that is whether you're climbing the corporate ladder, which I can relate to that starting my career, I was absolutely starting it fresh eyed. How do I get to the next spot? How do I get mm -hmm. to the next spot? I was an overeager millennial. You can insert all the punchlines, but I don't think I actually thought what's the way that I'm going to do it to be effective? Like in terms of the mentality of how to think like a boss, I think it was just, what do I need to get the, do to get there? And so, and so what you're saying is it all starts with that mindset of like thinking differently about how you're approaching your work. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think your mindset is everything in this, in, you know, in, in this way of thinking, how you show up, you know, from the first moment of interaction. I don't even mean the first day. I mean, every meeting that you have, any interaction that you have, you know, one of the things I like to remind people of is that humans coalesce around negativity. It's why the water cooler thing is such a topic, right? Why do, what's the water cooler? Well, that's just where we go to exchange all the things that bother us, right? We're going to talk about and talk around all the things that bug us about work because everybody's stupid except for us, right? Everybody else is an idiot. Um, and I think a lot of that toxicity comes out of the fact that we fuel each other in that negativity. Like, you know, if I, 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 I like to remind people, hey, if I, if you ask me how I am and I say, I'm awesome, you're going to walk away from that conversation and go, what the heck is the matter with her? She is a weirdo. I don't understand why she's so enthusiastic, whatever. But if we connect and you're like, oh, I'm having the worst day, you know, my hip hurts, my husband's a moron, my children are impossible, my workload is overwhelming. We're going to meet there and I'm going to go, me too. I'm so tired. I can't get ahead. And that is the energy we have then created for ourselves at work. And we're going to go out and share that with the people that we interact with, our coworkers, our customers. But we have started absolutely on the wrong foot. When we think and, and when we think about it, when we're thoughtful and intentional about how we show up for every interaction, 
we can actually shift that energy and by extension, play a role in shifting culture. I love that. I mean, talking about that, the the water cooler doc, I think it explains a lot. Like lately, I've just been really struggling with that. The Gallup statistic um, talked about on the podcast of almost 60% of people are quiet quitting when I really do believe that like you weren't born to be unhappy. Like if you are truly, if it's not working, like find what's best for you. Like there, the company could have did you wrong and I'm not negating that, but the company could have did you wrong. But if you're not happy, what are you going to do about it? Because mm-hmm. you could work like a boss in your own organization and see if you could approach it in a different way, or you can find yourself at the water cooler, just living in quiet quitting land. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know if you see like the parallels in terms of working because one seems a lot more you talked about intentional. So then it sounds like, you know, almost emotional intelligence, like you're either responding to the challenges of work or you're reacting by default into stress. A hundred percent. I think um, I think that we have to be we have to hold ourselves accountable in the same way that we wish we could hold like ownership. You know, it's not my job to do this. It's not I didn't decide this. I'm not steering the ship. And, you know, I think when we when we sort of acquiesce like that, when we abdicate our power um, and and we point at the proverbial executive leadership, you know, whoever that is, whoever the boss is that's making these stupid decisions and we <laughs> quiet quit. Right. That's us being a victim of work. And I think most people are. Most people are acting like all this stuff is just happening to them. They have no choice. They're just along for the ride. And they quiet quit because that's their response to being a victim. I actually think that there's an opportunity for us to be far more engaged, to hold ourselves accountable, to be the opposite of what maybe we experience in our workplace, to show up intentionally different, um, to challenge other people, to recognize I'm responsible for the energy I bring into a room, into this meeting, into every conversation. I'm responsible. If I don't like it, if it's not working for me, if I'm never going to be able to find any you know, any fuel to show up differently, then I should probably leave because then I've become part of the problem. But staying and quietly being bitter or jaded um, and having no self-awareness to recognize how that impacts other people is only contributing to the cancer that is clearly growing inside of an organization. My gosh, and there's so many organizations that are likely feeling that right now. Mm-hmm. Hi everyone, it's Jen, and I'm just coming to you because we need your help. Presscom International, the organization that hosts the Leadership Habit podcast that I proudly work for, is looking to expand their network of people that are committed to creating more ethical, engaging, and human leaders. Now, how is that relevant to you? Well, we're looking for referrals. Do you know someone that is interested in giving back and being an entrepreneur and owning their own business? or that wants to make a difference and is passionate about leadership development? Well, I'm excited to share with you that Crestcom has just launched a referral program. If you know someone, maybe it's a past mentor or a boss that's interested in making a career change and wanting to leverage the knowledge and their experience in the classroom, send them our way. We have this new program and here's the scoop. We've designed an easy to use referral form available on crestcom.com forward slash referrals. And you can visit the site submit your referrals and access all of the rules along with required terms and conditions. Here's the sweet spot of this. If you refer a successful candidate, we'll give you $2,500. Now we want to expand and make our mission even greater, but we can't do that without your help. 
So if you know someone that would be interested in becoming a franchisee for an amazing leadership development organization that wants to get into the classroom and make a difference, head on over to crestcom.com forward slash referrals today and help us impact your workplaces and the leaders that you work with. Here's the only caveat. Please note that this program is currently open to applicants based in the United States only. You talk about ownership, but you know, I think in, in accountability being the first piece, what can people truly own? If you look at a leader, I know that mindset is one, even though sometimes we get caught up in the reaction versus responding. But what do you think are some things that we can truly own in an effort to work like a boss? I know you listed a lot, but if we unpack maybe a few of them, one of them you talked about was emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about like owning the emotional intelligence and what that might look like in action. Well, I think um, I well, first of all, I think we hear from a lot of people. What can I do? I'm only one person. There's 60,000 people in this company. And I always say, be aware of the microcultures that you exist in. You know, you may not be able to influence or sway an entire 100,000 person organization, you know, that's global, but you can certainly have significant influence over the microculture that you operate in, the team that you're on, the department that you're in, the division that you work in, whatever that is. And I think that's an important, and you can be the champion. You can show up with this desire to shift energy. So I think emotional intelligence is when you recognize I have to have boundaries around what I can control, but this right here, this immediate space that I exist in and these people that I interact with every day, I can have frank conversations with them about how I experience this team. Um, I can show up and ask for help. I think emotional intelligence requires us to recognize dysfunction, but not create you know, unhealthy energy by placing blame or shame on people, but instead asking for help to actively shift the energy, to actively shift how this team feels. You know, if we are on a team and it feels lousy to come to work, it feels lousy to have meetings, there's no energy here, we have all sorts of problems and no solutions, I think that's the moment when we engage each other in what are we capable of? How can we shift even our meetings? You know, if we just come in <clears throat> and we create these meetings with maybe a, an agenda that's predictable. And we know that for the first 10 minutes of a meeting, we're going to check in with each other about, you know, the good things that are happening so we can share some positivity. We're going to check in about challenging things that are happening so we can understand what you're going through, what I'm going through, and also see how we might be able to help each other and then move into the agenda having celebrated something, having aligned with each other, but moving into the agenda with an action mindset, you know, an action-oriented mindset. Maybe that's something we agree to. But I think first and foremost, you know, it, emotional intelligence shows up when you work to cultivate authentic relationships with your teammates, whereby you can have difficult conversations that are solution-oriented and work toward that solution together. So work like a boss, emotional intelligence, but it sounds like at the underpin is that confidence, right? Because that's mm. that's scary to think about even the direct conversations, or maybe it is intimidating to think about flipping the script on how you run a meeting or how you actually do the business. I'm sure even there's fear around having a mindset that, okay, I'm going to show up and work like a boss today. Mm -hmm. What role do you think confidence plays in your ability to be your best self? Well, I think confidence is fueled by competence. 
So if you're phoning it in, if you don't feel solid in your position, if you don't feel like you're contributing in a healthy way, then you have to dig in and figure out how you can show up with a different energy, different intention, and a different way to actually measure your contribution so that you feel solid in what you are contributing. Then I think you're going to start to feel more confidence. So I think, you know, the people that I know um, or the people that I just meet, you know, you being one of them, like, you know, we didn't know each other before our introductory call a while back, but you're one of those people that I am immediately um, aware of your energy. You are you are positive. You are authentic. You know, we had that conversation. We have, you know, direct um, communication between us, we established that right out of the gate. It's clearly because you're, you're comfortable with what you're doing. You enjoy it, right? You're confident because you're good at it. Um, and we've met in the middle and we're representing sort of these two different points of view. I think, um, I think when people feel grounded in their abilities, um, they show up with that strength sort of front and center. Um, and, you know, to your point, I think fear is a huge detractor in the workplace. I think fear in our culture overall, and I'm talking mostly, you know, about the culture of the United States, for instance, um, because I think, yes, we're dealing, you know, we're living in a global culture. But when I think about how the U.S., um, indoctrinate sort of work thinking with people, you know, it, we carry some of our old garbage into the workplace. I often say, you know, we put so much emphasis on higher education in this country, and yet we don't teach people how to thrive at work, how to show up yeah. with the right energy. We teach them how to get papers in on time, but mostly we teach them how to shut up, sit down, get in line, do what they're told, do you know get an A because there's only one right answer, be perfect because there's only one way to deliver, right? And then we throw them into the workplace, which is like a giant melting pot of experimentation and failure. And we and we don't understand why they immediately clam up. And you know, only some of them will succeed. And it's because, like, you know, we we raise young people in a in a in a certain way of thinking and then work requires a totally different set of tools and and we recognize that but it's hard to sort of put your finger on it and so people kind of move through the workplace with fear sort of guiding how they show up they're afraid of conflict so feedback is a tough thing to give and receive you know we take things personally so feedback is really rough to receive we're afraid of what others will think of us we don't want to look dumb we don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing you know th those things are why most humans resist change i don't want to try that i don't even know what i'm doing i'm not going to do that in front of people why would i do that i'm not going to do it i'm going to i'm going to grind my heels into the ground and I, i'm not going to i'm not going to cooperate with this because i'm going to look like a dumbass right and i also say to um you know, women, women uh, go through a lot of those fears. You know, they're afraid of looking dumb, but women also show up in meetings afraid of looking too smart because I don't know many women in the workplace who haven't kept their mouths shut in order not to outshine the men in the room in moments, you know, men who may be their superiors or maybe the people who could open up opportunities for them. So fear actually prevents us from working like a boss. And we believe that there are people like, you or maybe me 
oh, you must not be afraid of anything. Knowing you for the 10 minutes that I've known you, the 30 minutes cumulatively, I bet you're not afraid of anything. That it would be my assumption. The truth is we know better. Of course you have fear. Of course I have fear. We've just learned how to operate with it, how to move through it, right? Nobody is fearless, but we can all learn how to fear less. I love it. Oh my gosh, you said so much there. I would almost give you I know, like a sorry. drop there. No, I loved it. I'm here for it. I mean, because I will say that even at like the fear, it's huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, underneath fear, that that fear, we're all afraid, and that's why we're not showing up. And I can, you know, that's where imposter syndrome and perfectionism and all of those things really thrive is through our fear of failure because we were never taught that all life is, all life is. I would even go as far as life. But especially going into like the workplace, everything is gray. Mm -hmm. Everything is gray. There is actually not a right or wrong in many instances. It's going to be, it's a depends. This is the adjustment. And they never gave you, like I felt grossly, I felt very educated, but grossly unprepared when I entered my, you know, first job. And I don't think I really attributed it to not being prepared as a result of the university at that time. I just felt like no one told me. And I was a person that I felt didn't even know why you needed to have a mentor. I was always pretty resourceful. So I thought, okay, I could figure this out. Turns out I actually really needed a mentor. I made some big career missteps that messed with my confidence and messed with my own fear that, you know, really impacted even my mental health. Because I think we could talk about the impact that fear draws then to mental health. And We have so many things because we're afraid. That's why we're hanging up on Sundays with the Sunday scaries, afraid to go into work. Or we have all that anticipatory anxiety when we could have just been positioned to work smarter, not harder. And here's the things that you can focus on. And so Mm -hmm. maybe it is diving in because I I know I went a little away. Maybe we'll come back. So if you if we had to kind of think of like the rules of thumb that we would want to leave our audience with in terms of how to work like a boss, like where do you start? Like, what would be your process of coaching someone through it? Sure. Well, uh, I always say you start with yourself. You start with owning your own garbage, like recognizing, you know, what maybe what your bad habits are, how you're not fully functional or where maybe you drop the ball in communication or where you're not showing up with your full energy. I think, um, you know, owning your passive aggression, owning those bad habits that don't contribute in a positive way to what you're trying to produce. So really doing the work. And sometimes, you know, I've, I've been known to say, get a therapist, like, you know, talk through or a coach, talk through those habits or behaviors that aren't serving you and maybe get a coach because you need to be able to uh, receive that feedback that maybe will um, you know, enlighten you to those behaviors that perhaps you aren't aware of. Um, I think really starting with yourself, I am afraid of understanding what it is you're afraid of and what tools you have at your disposal to move past that. Um, you know, just like you can't run a marathon without preparing for it. You can't work like a boss without recognizing how you show up currently, like really improving your self-awareness. Um, and then I think once you have recognized and listen, that's a forever process. That's not like two meetings with a coach and you're done. That's a forever, right? Like understand how are you with boundaries? You know, do you take everything personally or do you have better protective boundaries than that? You know, when you get upset, 
you just vomit all over anybody that's around and make sure they're upset too before you're done working that day? So many people do that, right? But that's something that requires some amount of self-control. So really starting the work to understand how you're contributing. Then I think, you know, recognizing that there are really simple ways to work like a boss that will just shift some of those bad behaviors in significant ways. Like, you know, one of the things I talk about, my book is called Working Like a Boss, Work Like a Boss. And in that book, I talk about um, kindness, not nice, because I think, you know, I live in Minnesota, so we clearly ruined the word nice, but um, (laughs) kindness, like being intentionally kind, being intentionally open. You know, I think we, um, I, I think people move through the world really kind of only thinking about their own struggles. You know, they think about my paycheck, my promotion, my career track, my boss, my current challenges, my stuff. And I think that kindness, being conscientiously kind in the workplace requires you to just sort of open yourself up to see what other people are experiencing, to recognize that there's subtext. Like if somebody comes in crabby, you have to take it personally. Maybe they you know, maybe they had a toilet flood this morning, or maybe their kid is sick, or maybe they're struggling with whatever. Have some empathy, have some compassion. And that kindness will shift that whatever interaction you and or that person may have for the remainder of the day. And it's just simple stuff like that, you know, kindness and, um, uh, you know, caring about the, pla- the, the place and the people um, beyond yourself. So really simple steps to open yourself up to what it means to feel more connected to the work in each other. Yes. Oh my gosh. So much. And I, and I mean, kindness, I know that you like, you feel this way. Like you have to start with yourself too, mm. like to bring it all the way back. Mm-hmm. Because I wanted to ask you this question earlier. You're someone that has created a tremendous amount of success. You've got so many clients to pull from. What do you do if you, Nancy, have you ever made a mistake? Oh my God. I probably, yes. Just, just moments ago, just before we started talking, I probably made one here. Um, yeah. I mean, mistakes. <laughs> how, do you, how do you respond? If you're acting like a boss, how do you respond to yourself when you make a mistake? Well, you know, that's interesting. Um, it used to be way worse. It, you know, as I've gotten older, I've gone easier on myself because you start to realize it's not the end of the world. But I, I think in particular women, women in business, um, can be really hard on themselves when they make a mistake because there's not as much room for us to fail. Um, that's what we believe. That's what we've been told. That's what we've seen. The truth of the matter is, and I am one of those people who will lay up at night and perseverate over something I said wrong or did wrong or something I screwed up that, you know, lots of other people saw. I'll be like, oh, I can't believe I did that. But nothing stops the world. Nothing haunts me the way I think it will. You know, even even big, expensive mistakes can be corrected. So what I've really noticed is it's not the mistake. It's how you respond to it afterwards. It's how you own it. um, And it's the action plan that you determine to move through it that matters. And beating yourself up serves zero purpose. It is nothing but a waste of energy. And to your point, I think... um, you know, we cannot care for others if we don't care for ourselves. And I think we get bogged down um, thinking about self-care and thinking about wellness. We think it's like a trip to Sedona, a, a spa, 
We think it's facials and massages or yoga and Pilates. And self-care is a moment away from the screen. It's breathing. It's taking my dog for a walk. It's, you know, wellness is taking time to center myself and be quiet. Um, You know, self-care can look like a lot of things. None of them have to be ginormous investments. They're all accessible and attainable. And you start by just not beating yourself up for things that are inevitable and human. And I love that what you said about self-care. Like I talk a lot about burnout and typically when I see people trying to solve the pain of burnout, the frustration of burnout, they jump into, you know, yoga, meditation. Those things are all incredibly important, but we completely skip, you know, what you were getting to that reflection piece, Mm -hmm. what's really going on. And it could be, you know, what are my strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, but also what's holding me back? What fear is listening to me? How am I ruminating and living in the story and why am I not letting it go? We think that the exercise is going to curb our mind's desire to continue to replay these things and it's never going to. Mm-hmm. I wish it would. Trust me, I wish it would. I have worked out plenty of times and still it softens you five to 10 minutes and then you're like, oh, dang it, the mistake is back in. All right, let's live in this for the next 20 minutes of the evening. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't do it until we actually take the time to process it, but we don't want to process it. We want the magic. <laughs> it's true. I heard the phrase a while ago, what we resist persists. Yeah. And I, I think that's 100% true. You know, if we resist doing the work on ourselves, uh, if we resist the truth, you know, the truth can feel heavy and feel insurmountable if we resist that, it's just going to keep showing up. Yes. But when you own it, I feel like there's something liberating when Mm. you can finally process and own it because then it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't keep you caught in the like, in the shame jail that Mm -hmm. many of us find ourselves in. It's, but it is hard. I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. someone, you're someone, we talk about this to people and I absolutely still struggle with this. But it's something I'm more aware of and I keep trying to work on. But many people maybe aren't even aware because so many people don't even do the first steps to like reflect on like what's serving you, what's not, as you had said. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nancy, I really enjoyed our conversation. I know that we have to start wrapping up and I want to know more about work like a boss. But what would you like share in closing comments, like anything you would want to leave our audience with in terms of how they could actually change their mindset and start working on themselves or how to work like a boss? Well, I appreciate that question. I think, um, you know, I think that the pandemic and all of the fallout from the pandemic really put a lot of us into this place where we're experiencing an existential crisis. And that's where the quiet quitting comes from. That's where the career confusion. And, you know, what I've been saying to people lately is, we are we exist in a capitalistic system, and whether you love it or hate it, it's not going anywhere. Um, it is what it is right now in this moment because it takes a lot to dismantle whole systems. And capitalism doesn't leave a lot of room for humanity. And I think that's on us. So when I say be connected to the work, when I say um, you know hold yourself accountable, I'm not saying do more. I'm not saying work hard. I'm not saying lose more sleep. I'm saying find your purpose. You deserve it. You deserve to have, you know, you're not going to be happy every day in work. We screw ourselves up and we think about happiness. It's like, oh, if I just get this job, if I just get this title, I'll be happy. But it's not true, right? Like 
Some days work is just work, regardless of, you know, my title is CEO. And some days I absolutely do not love my job. Um, That's just the way it is. There's no greener pasture. You know, it's not greener. It's just grass. Um, And the truth of the matter is, if you fertilize it, all grass can be green. And so rather than blame the work, blame the company, blame, you know, really recognize how you're showing up in it and decide that you're going to connect to your purpose. And if it's not possible here, find where it is. Because we spend so much of our lives working, we deserve to feel connected and purposeful. Yes, we do. And I love that. It's not about the grass being greater. It's the grass. And you can always fertilize the grass. That was Mm -hmm. a beautiful way to describe that journey to your own personal development and finding your fulfillment. Nancy, how can our audience get in touch with you? How can they get the book? Tell me all the details. Oh, thank you for asking that question. Well, you can find my company at clockwork.com. You can find the studio tempo at madebytempo.com. You can find me at nancylyons.com. And my book is at worklikeaboss.com. And at that website, you can find all the places where you can actually get the book. Whether it's Amazon or direct from the distributor, or you can even ask your little independent bookstores to order and get it in. And I am on all of the socials at Nylons. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Nancy. Thank you so much for the burst of inspiration. I know that you truly left a mark and hopefully changed someone's perspective today. So thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. This was fun. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you really enjoyed that conversation with Nancy. She shared so many nuggets, so many different perspectives. I hope that you're feeling inspired and motivated to take back that power and control. I really enjoyed it. Can you tell? Now, if we at Crosscom can help you in any way to be your best self, we would love the opportunity. We focus all on leadership development, giving you the tools that you need to succeed in today's changing workplace. And if we can be of service to you, please let us know. You can actually head on over to Crestcom.com and there you can actually register and request a complimentary leadership skills workshop for you and your team, which can be done live or virtually. We would love the opportunity to help you be your best self in the coming year. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.